All right, guys, last week I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to squeeze in this show. Still no baby, so the show must go on. Week 13 GPP block party show with JM. Going to cover all of the angles with this fun GPP slate. Lots of high totals, lots of stuff for us to dissect. All here with Pete and JM. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I went all the way. Hey everyone. All right, JM, we are live. We are ready to talk week 13. What what do you got on your hoodie today? Uh, I got my Paddington Bear. Oh, I uh, Apparently I have I have kids. Um we so have you seen the unbearable weight of massive talent? No. With uh, it's with Nick Cage and um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The guy who plays the Mandalorian. Anyhow, uh, Pedro Pascal. It's a basically a, a movie where Nick Cage plays the Nick Cage pers- like persona, the way we all perceive yeah. him. Except that is really how Nick Cage is. So it's like Nick Cage plays Nick Cage, uh, and it's a hilarious movie. But anyhow, uh, he and Pedro Pascal bond over how much they both love Paddington Two. And so then we watched that with the kids and, and uh, I actually didn't really watch it because, you know, the kids were running around and uh, I was cleaning up the house and stuff, but apparently we liked the movie. So now I've got a Paddington sweatshirt. There you go. I love it. That feels like one of those gifts that like your kids give you with kid logic where it's like, <laughs> I like this gift. And so I'm going to give that to you as your gift. It was like my brother used to give my parents DVDs that he liked. <laughs> so like, this, this isn't a thoughtful gift. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get William uh, an iWatch this year, an Apple watch. Uh, and then I'll be like, well, you probably don't need this. I'll just keep this for myself. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, shout out to the chat. This afternoon, uh, we have a very fun slate on tap. I mean, I can't remember another week jam where we had multiple games with totals over 50. I feel like we're normally lucky if like one is is barely cresting over 50. Yeah, it's funny. This is so, so normal for past years where past years, these 46, these 47 point totals, those are the ones that we look at and we say, maybe this game goes off and nobody's on it because of these 50 point totals this year, those 46, 47, 48 point games have been the games to focus on. So yeah, this week's very different. Interestingly, that Raiders chargers game is no longer a 50 plus point total. Mm. It's dropped to 49 and a half. I think that's an interesting discussion too, just because we have been playing DFS for several years. We have our perceptions of the chargers built, but I sometimes talk about my first year in MLB where I knew the Red Sox really well, didn't know the other teams, didn't have biases. Easier to take the names off the jerseys. The Chargers ranked 23rd in offensive DVOA, 21st in pass offense DVOA. And so it's more of a bet on, I mean, they're basically right next to New England and Washington and some of these teams, the Pittsburgh, that if they were playing the Raiders, we wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, this game, right? So it's more a bet on how bad the Raiders defense is than on how good the Chargers are. Although they still have Justin Herbert, they still have the weapons. Um, but yeah, interesting to see that game total dropping below 50, but then we have chiefs and Bengals. What I really think is interesting about this slate. So we were about to talk about this before the, the show started. And then it was like, well, actually let's just, let's just start the show and talk about it on air. So all the focus right now seems to be on Jags and lions. Obviously people are aware of these other games, right? But I kind of perceive it like this. 
people are like, well, where do I save salary? Okay, Trevor Lawrence is underpriced if this game goes off. And Zay Jones is underpriced if this game goes off. And Amon Ross St. Brown has got a pretty nice price tag. And so what's happening is they're missing all of these sub 4K wide receivers who are actually pretty solid upside plays. DeAndre Carter is a solid upside play. DJ Shark is a solid upside play. Kendall Hinton is a solid upside play. Sky Moore is a solid upside play. Juwan Jennings is a solid upside play. Marcus Valdez-Scantling is not under 4K, 4.1K, solid upside play. But people are kind of like getting up to this Zay Jones range of 4.9K to save their salary. So then they end up on this sort of mid-range build, right? Travis Etienne is one of the, clearly one of the most underpriced running backs, but he's 6.4K. So they end up on this mid-range build, which is then creating this salary squeeze where they're not able to get up to Travis Kelsey, who's coming in under 10% ownership right now. And Patrick Mahomes is coming in kind of surprisingly lower owned. Tyreek Hill coming in with low ownership. Uh, Tua is coming in with 1% ownership. Obviously, uh, game total there is kind of throwing people off as well. But yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting setup where people are kind of finding certainty on this game. Very good game. And if it were low owned, it'd be a game like, hey, look, this game has more upside than people realize. But because people are kind of flocking to that game, it's creating this salary squeeze that's forcing them away from these other games. And so uh, what I said to you before we, we got on air was I got a game changer roster reserve, you know, single entry, high dollar contest uh, that I typically play that contest. I might end up withdrawing that entry by the time we get to Saturday night. If I'm, I might be like, look, I can't get down to one roster that I know is my, my edge. Right. But I love playing a lot of rosters on this slate because there's so many places to search for upside and it feels like the field is really kind of narrowing in their view. So I talked for three minutes straight. What do you have to say to any of that? Well, I was laughing because I'm the opposite this week. I'm just going to play one lineup because I have oh, no idea yeah. when my life is going to be thrown. Yeah, into yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if I'm here trying to, you know, fill out three spy lineups from the hospital, I think I'll uh, combust here. So I'm, I'm playing it safe with just one. So uh, I'm, I'm in the opposite scenario as you, but I do feel the same thing as well. Like you said, um, when you look at the current optimal lineup and I can pull it up right now on screen for people as well, you are getting a ton of the Jags and Lions. And then you're also getting some of these Browns uh, in here with uh, Deshaun Watson right now. And then also a couple value guys on the Jets. We should talk about Bam Knight here as well. Garrett Wilson showing up. Um, and David Njoku was popping earlier. And now that he is not going to play, Fryermuth is squeezing in an optimal lineup right now. But as we kind of, you know, do more macro stuff though, what are your thoughts on kind of these Jets values who I also think will be pretty popular plays this week. Yeah, I just finished recording the Angles podcast. I had Jalen Warren in the bottom-up build, um, <laughs> both bottom-up builds. And then we got news that Najee Harris looks like he's going to play. So that should put even more ownership on Zonovan Knight, Bam Knight. Yeah, I mean, I so here's the thing. I, this is a week where... I don't want to, I, I said earlier in the week that there's potential that if we had a 60K salary cap, you could score 300 points this week. And I actually was building with a, a 60K salary cap early in the week so that I wouldn't have to look at the value stuff right away, but could kind of just get a sense of like, hey, what could you put on, on this roster? Like, where is all the upside on this slate? And so I, I do think that like, I don't think that these cheap running backs are going to put up 25 points. Like Zonovan Knight's not going to put up 22 to 25 points in most scenarios, and we don't want to be sacrificing opportunities for 25 to 30 point scores on a week like this. At the same time, if you force yourself to go with the 
Travis Etienne and up range at running back, you really do squeeze yourself out of some of these extra high priced wide receivers. So uh, similar to kind of taking like a 3,800 wide receiver where you're like, look, if this guy gets me 10 points, it doesn't kill me. And he's capable of getting 20. I might have the same mindset with somebody like Zonovan Knight. And honestly, same thing with like Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, who are going to get overlooked because they're not the shiny new toys. And so I could have the, the same mindset with those guys. Like, look, if they get me 12 to 13 to 14, I don't want that, but it doesn't kill me. They can get me 20, 21, 22, and that helps quite a bit. But this also frees me up to go to some of these higher priced wide receivers because there could be multiples of these higher priced wide receivers who put up a big game. I mean, you know, I've had my, for weeks, my one of Devontae Adams yeah. or Josh Jacobs on every roster rule. This is the first week where I'm not going to have that rule. I obviously still like both guys a lot. Seven games in a row if we take out the flu game where one of them has scored 30 points. But also, I don't want to close off any potential paths to these 40-point scores, right? Because what if Jamar Chase puts up 40 and A.J. Brown, we'll talk about him on the show, what if A.J. Brown puts up 40 and because I'm squeezing in, like forcing myself to squeeze in Jacobs or Adams and they get 30, right, but I miss out on those scores. So uh, same thing with my rule of always pair Patrick Mahomes with Travis Kelsey. I won't necessarily have that rule this week because I don't want to close myself off from some of the other ways to build among these high price guys. Part of the reason why the the Jacobs and Adams rule has been so powerful this year is because there have been so few 30-point scores. So if you just know, hey, one of these guys is getting 30 points, that has so much value. But this week we could see some 40-pointers and uh, we might not, right? But I want to leave my options open for that. And so uh, yeah, all that back to the, the Jets value. Like I'm willing to go to Zonovan Knight, even at probably somewhat high ownership, if I think he can get me 12 to 15 points with potential for 18 plus, just because that frees up salary for other places. So um, yeah, a lot of interesting ways to play the slate. And that's, that's definitely one of the ways to consider things here. Yeah, the Zonovan Knight thing feels a little analogous to the 4,800 Rashad Penny week i believe that was against the lions too or maybe it was another week where he was the 4800 but the difference i would say this week is whereas a ton of people were getting funneled to penny that week just because of the price point there's a ton of opportunity costs and a ton of options at running back to where i don't envision zonovan knight's going to be like one of those pump play running backs who becomes 30 40 percent maybe I'll, i'm wrong once people realize how much they want to jam in these high price guys but right now it seems like he'll stay in check yeah, and, and, and you know, Jalen Warren was coming in at uh, almost 20% owned on our end before the Najee Harris news. And so some of that will filter over to Zonovan Knight. But also, like, let's be realistic. He's a, a practice squad call-up and had a really solid game last week, but they still have three backs, right? James Robinson will be active this week. We'll probably get some touches. Uh, Ty Johnson is going to take the pass down work. And so we're looking at a guy who it's not like we've seen him put up 30 pointers like we did with, with Rashad Penny in the past, right? We're looking at a guy who is still a, an underdog in this game is probably mostly a ground and pound running back. He'll get some dump off targets. And so, uh, you know, 15 touches, 16, 17, 18 touches would be a really nice game from him. And it's highly unlikely that he puts up 30 points. So uh, I think it's justifiable that he won't be super high owned, but then also it's justifiable to play him because of the ways that it can open up salary at the wide receiver position where there is more upside if things come together. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know, you mentioned the field getting funneled to that uh, Detroit Jacksonville game, which definitely makes sense. I still think, I think the interesting one to really talk about is Cincinnati KC, which on paper, I think everyone would tell you, Hey, this is the best game. This is best players, highest ceiling, everything you could want Two teams with really nice pass rates over expectation. And yet you can run optimals, not really get these guys. They are kind of hard to fit. How, how are you feeling about this game environment and do you think these kind of low ownerships on Kelsey, on Mahomes, ultimately end up holding by the time we flip over the cards on Sunday? I do think that they end up holding. Probably not to the full extent. Same thing with the low ownership on Tua, some of these other guys, right? Because people will look at that and then say, well, there's a sharper way to approach this slate. So then they start shifting over toward that. And there's this push and pull as people look at ownership projections and get a sense of what their path to first place might be. But I do think that that game, just the price tags on it, is going to be a game that's easy for people to stay off of it. We've seen it throughout the season where Mahomes and Kelsey come in lower owned than you would expect because people just think, yeah, they're sharp plays, but I can go a little bit cheaper. Mahomes has gone over 30 points six different times this year. I mean, he's so consistent in that regard. And and so, uh, you know, but but people kind of look at like the Burrow and the Tua and the the Trevor Lawrence. They're like, well, these guys are a little bit cheaper and I can get to 30 points from these guys rather than going all the way up to Mahomes. With that game, you know, I always want to keep in mind that that game, the, the AFC Championship last year was 27 to 24 and didn't produce what would be had to have it scores. The over-under here tells us that 50% of the time we're going to get these 27 to 20 games, 27 to 24 games in this spot. So it's not like this game is just guaranteed to be a blow-up game. But what's great about this game, you mentioned the pass rate over expectations. Chiefs number one in the NFL, Bengals number three in the NFL. Chiefs also face the highest opponent pass play rate in the NFL. So we know these teams are going to be passing. We know these teams know that they need to score points here. So the chances of this game cratering are so low. I mean, it's, it's like impossibly low that this game finishes with, with one or both teams scoring fewer than 20 points. And so you get this high floor on the players here. And then if one game becomes had to have it, like a true had to have it, the way that the Lions and Jags approach games, both of them are run-leaning teams and they tilt toward the pass if forced to tilt toward the pass, but they're playing each other, right? So this is the type of game where in the second half, this thing could really pick up, but you could also be like overload on this game and there's seven minutes left in the first half and the score is nine to seven. And you're like, wait a second, I thought this was supposed to be my, my blow up game, right? It's going to be hard for that game to combine for 70 total points. Whereas Chiefs and Bengals could do that and just blow away all the other games. So uh, I definitely think that it's a game that we want to be keeping firmly in mind because it's hard for it to kill your roster and it could become the game that you had to have. Now, granted, there are ways that this game plays out to that middling sort of outcome. And then you don't need the pieces on it to win a tournament. But uh, it should definitely be one that, that, especially with ownership where it's at right now, we should be like, well, clearly this is the best game of the lot. And so let's think about finding ways to get this onto our rosters. Yeah, and Alan bringing up something I wanted to ask you about is specifically the run games for both of these teams because there is a little bit of uncertainty. I believe Joe Mixon still hasn't cleared the concussion protocol. Um, Jarek McKinnon missed Wednesday and Thursday. I haven't seen if he is practicing today with that hamstring injury. But how are you thinking about these run games, and does that uncertainty even move you more on the passing game thinking this is what they both these teams will want to rely on? Yeah, I mean, we know both these teams are going to pass regardless of what's going on in these backfields, right? I mean, so Jarek McKinnon game logs, his best game of the season, 11.8 points, right? And we have uh, we have 11, or so it looks like McKinnon is practicing today. We're 
uh, 11 game sample size for the Chiefs. That's a pretty large sample size to be able to say the ceiling that this guy has hit this year has been 11.8 points. In order for him to have a big game, he would probably need a multi-touchdown game because just his usage-based scoring is typically going to be under 10 points. Uh, so you're betting on, in order for him to get to 15 plus points, you're betting on him scoring a touchdown. And even that is just kind of an adequate score. So you really need a two touchdown game for him, for him to be a solid producer. So not a guy that I'm typically going out of my way to play. Definitely a guy that I was digging into earlier in the week, but I want to find the guys who could potentially get me 20 plus points without needing a two touchdown game in order to get there. Uh, if you want to go to McKinnon, certainly not a guy that I'll like strongly argue against because same sort of thing, you're saving salary getting exposure to this offense. Uh, Mixon, yeah, still hasn't cleared concussion protocol, could clear it tomorrow. He's been practicing, so it seems like he's been close. But if not, then P. Ryan becomes a really interesting guy in a you know in the spot where we know the Bengals want to pass and P. Ryan's going to be involved in the pass game. And then Isaiah Pacheco is interesting too. We, we just don't have a super large sample size on him. So on the one hand, I look at it and I say, in his game so far, two touchdowns would have gotten him to 19 to 26 DraftKings points. And that's not great, right? He's 5.7K in salary. So you really want like 22 to 23 points anyway. And if he's requiring two touchdowns just to get to that range, well, what's his upside for like winning you a tournament, right? What does he need? Yeah. But realistically, that doesn't mean that he's incapable of breaking off a hundred yard run. That doesn't mean or a hundred yard game. That doesn't mean that he's incapable of catching a couple extra passes. And so I think that he's an interesting way. Like if he were coming in at seven, 8% ownership, like the old Clyde Edwards Hilaire ownership where people are like, yeah hey, this is just access to this offense, right? And you're like, yeah, but this guy never hits for ceiling in this role. If that were the case, I would be off them. But if he's coming in at 2% ownership, it still becomes a thing where you're like, okay, yeah, but Chiefs running back can hit 4% of the time, 5% of the time. Let me get some exposure there. So um, I think that's probably the place I'm most interested in on the Chiefs side in the backfield. And then on the, on the Bengals side, whichever guy plays is going to be interesting because there's just points that can be had here. And uh, we know when guys come back from injury, People, people are so cautious with injury stuff, right? So Mixon comes back from the concussion. What's well, a concussion? He's going to play all the snaps, and yet he's coming in under 10% projected ownership. Uh, Jamar Chase, he's coming in with low ownership because he's coming back from the high ankle sprain. And So people say, well, what if he's on a snap count? My thing is always, yeah, but what if he's not? And he's coming in with this yeah. lower ownership, right? Like last week, we were able to get Jacobs at 3% to 5% ownership because everybody said, what if things are negative here? And it's like, yeah, but what if things are positive here? You get this super low ownership and this, this massive upside. So uh, I'm paying attention to all those things in this game. And, and I think that there will be some spots to get low ownership and a lot of upside in what could, you know, could be a 27 to 24 game, but could, could also be the game of the year. Yep, for sure. There's a couple other kind of either fragile situations at quarterback or new situations here that I think are interesting to decipher. Like when I pulled up that optimal lineup and seeing that right now, Deshaun Watson is ending up on those optimals. What are your thoughts about his return here? I there's so many, you know, variables to untangle as far as they have this matchup where they're going to basically be able to do whatever they want. How much are they letting Deshaun Watson air it out? Does he have rust? Like, how do you see this playing out? I guess both from most likely scenario and what are the maybe kind of upside scenarios we should be considering here? The most likely scenario, you have a team that is built like philosophically, fundamentally, they're built off the run game and everything that they do conceptually in the pass game is built off the run game. The Browns changed their personnel from play to play more than any team in the NFL. They're always 
running guys on and off the field. And that's kind of like what they do is they constantly make the defense shift play to play as they march down the field and everything's built off of the run. That's not going to change with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. They're not going to become a team that's throwing the ball 40 times a game. We also have Deshaun Watson who hasn't played football in two years. He's been allowed to practice for what, like the last three or four weeks. And yet the Browns are still kind of on the fringes of the playoff hunt outside the building. We don't see that, but inside the building, they know that if they keep winning, they still control their destiny. They still have a shot at the playoffs. And so it's not like they were mixing in Deshaun Watson for first team reps the last few weeks. They're preparing for those games and Jacoby Brissett's getting those reps. And so I do think that we'll see rust. I think that the likeliest way for them to play this game is we're going to win right against the Texans, as long as we just play our game and don't make mistakes. So let's, play our typical offense. Let's run the ball. Let's build some pass concepts off that. Let's give Watson some opportunities to make easy throws. Let's give him some opportunities to get some play action throws and hit guys who are open. And so realistically, we should expect the same type of game that most teams run against the, that every team except Miami has run against Houston, which is let's run the ball. Let's beat them on the ground. There's no reason to attack through the air here and they can get Watson to win, get him comfortable. With that said, I feel like everybody's eye is drawn toward Watson this week, right? Everybody looks at Watson and they're like, oh, he's back. He could hit. And then you talk, like everybody I've talked to has said these same things. They've been like, yeah, but he's, he's, they're not going to throw the ball a bunch and he's not going to hit. And so he's kind of popping in ownership, which surprised me. And that's because he's kind of popping in projections. But I actually think it's going to be one of these spots where everybody kind of projects him at like five, six, seven, eight percent owned. But then come Sunday, he's more like 3% owned because everybody has the same thought, right? They're like, yeah, but they're not really going to attack through the air. And he had games in 2020 with 35 pass attempts, 33 pass attempts, 25 pass attempts, where he went over 300 yards, three plus touchdowns. And so it's certainly possible for him to throw 29 passes and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. So I think that Deshaun Watson's a guy who I'm not going to be considering him on my main build. I might not, might not even have him on my tighter builds, but I will definitely be overweight what I expect the field to be in large field play, if that makes sense. Like I'm not going to be double 8% projected ownership, but I actually think if I think he's going to be more like four or 5% owned, then I'll probably be close to double that on my Deshaun Watson exposure because he is a guy at 6,500 who can put up 30 points um, you know, probably only gets 20 to 30 rushing yards, but if he adds 300 yards to the air and three touchdowns, now you're looking at a 30 point game. So, uh, and then you get the, that double stack with Amari and DPJ. So um, yeah, I, I like the spot. I think it's a very interesting spot. And I think that it's one of these spots where each person you talk to kind of has the same thoughts. And so that will actually lower ownership compared to what people really uh, like what projections really say here. Yeah, I agree with that too. And it, it, because I think most people are saying with the uncertainty coming back, Russ, yada, yada, Everyone knows Nick Chubb is kind of how you probably want to attack this. And yet Nick Chubb is 8K and really puts uh, the screws uh, on your lineup as far as what you can do. And it's also interesting too, just thinking of like, there are plenty of stacking candidates like Amari Cooper, DPJ and Harrison Bryant, like all look pretty viable, but I just don't think it's going to be the click that feels really comfortable for people when they can attack these other spots. So yeah, I'm with you there. What are, what are you thinking about Justin Fields this week? It sounds like he's going to be back 7,400 versus the Packers. Again, one of those guys a little out of sight, out of mind, where I think if he had been playing you know, consistently here, didn't miss a game, we'd probably be seeing him here as one of the highest-owned quarterbacks, again, at least at this price. What are, you, what are you doing with him here? 
Yeah, Fields is super interesting because I'm always willing to embrace post-injury returns, right? Because I know that the field is going to be more concerned about injuries. And so on the weeks like the Josh Jacobs week last week, it really pays off, right? The Josh Jacobs goes for 51 points and people don't have him. Uh, and so I'm willing to play fields. The one thing that the one major drawback with fields is the lack of a stacking partner. And so, you know, we can look and be like, well, yeah, but Cole Komet hit both times that fields hit. But if we go that layer deeper, right, Cole Komet hit because he scored two touchdowns both times. So if either of those times he'd scored one and the other touchdown went to somebody else, then nobody hit alongside fields. And why that matters is now fields goes for 40 points. It doesn't matter. But we don't know on this side of the games if he's going to go for 40 points. So on this side of the games, it's like, well, if we get fields right, that's still just one thing that we get right. Whereas most quarterbacks, if we get it right, we get two or three spots on our roster right. So if a quarter, if you get Burrow and a double stack correct, you now have six spots left on your roster that you have to get right. And if you get fields right, you have eight spots left on your roster you have to get right. Like the math on that is just so different. And so fields just inherently at this price tag is a little bit less valuable than some of the quarterbacks that you can stack in good game environments because those quarterbacks then give you, if they hit, they give you a clearer shot at first place because you now have fewer things you need to get right. But with that said, I do think that Fields very much could go for 35 to 40 points in the same matchup where Jalen Hurts just rushed for 157 yards against the Packers. And so, uh, yeah, Fields is a guy that I'm very much interested in. I don't have a, a really broad quarterback list this week especially on tighter builds and fields is on that list. But I, I just want to mention that drawback with fields as well. in that like he, you are threading a thinner needle with fields because you get him right and still need to get eight things right on your roster. Uh, unless, you know, kind of randomly you pair him with a guy who scores two touchdowns again. Yeah. And there, there are so many quarterbacks to discuss this week. I'll keep one in our back pocket for when we do our building blocks here in a little bit. But how about up on the high end here? You know, Lamar Jackson, I think, is going to be incredibly low owned, as will Mark Andrews with him. Um, how are you thinking about him in this spot uh, against just an absolutely disastrous Broncos team? Yeah, um, I won't be playing him. And it's, it's a weird thing, right, when it's a guy who's this low owned and can break the slate. And I know a lot of like I'll do my show with Squirrel Patrol after this and. Uh, Squirrel Patrol will certainly have some Lamar Jackson ownership because a lot of sharp DFS players, they they see low ownership on a guy who can break the slate and they pull the trigger, right? Um, I always like to lean on my NFL knowledge, which I think is one of my edges as long as I don't overrate it. And so uh, I understand how the Ravens want to call a game. I understand how teams call games against the Broncos and it lines up perfectly with how the Ravens would like to call a game. And so I recognize that the like in order for Lamar Jackson to hit for a had-to-have-it game at this price tag, it almost certainly requires the Broncos putting up a bunch of points themselves, or it requires just something totally fluky, right? Like 100 rushing yards with the bonus and two rushing touchdowns, something like that, because they're not going to pass the ball a ton. They want to control this game. They want to take a lead. They want to use Gus Edwards. They want to use all their running backs and kind of play off of each other with that. Uh, and so, yeah, Lamar Jackson – uh, kind of a guy who a lot of these lower total games he's been in, even though he's been low owned, I've still been like, you know what though? Uh, I'm not going to use 6% of my rosters on this guy because I do feel like that's just giving away money even at this low ownership. So um, power, more power to you on anybody who is taking the plunge on Lamar Jackson, because you know, he can put up technically put up 35 plus points, but we've seen it, right? 
if he puts up 35 plus points, we've talked about it all five times he's done it since the start of last year. It's been in high scoring games, 56 or more combined points. Uh, four of those five games have been 60 or more combined points. And I just don't see 56 or more combined points coming in this one. Um, and if he if he manages to put up 35 without that, that's great for anybody who rostered him. But even that doesn't kill me, right? And so uh, I have a hard time seeing him doing like 40 plus and me being like, God, why didn't I play Lamar Jackson in this matchup with the way that the Ravens like, like to call a game? Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you. I'm curious, are you willing to use Andrews by himself though this week still in your builds? Yeah, you know, and uh, yes and no, I, we're we're still like our perception of Andrews is skewed by what he did last year and what he did at the start of this year. What he did at the start of this year was in these shootout games where Lamar Jackson was passing a bunch and Lamar Jackson was putting up 45 points and Andrews was scoring. And then last year when Gus Edwards wasn't healthy and all like all their running backs were hurt and they were going with this pass leaning game plan and Mark Andrews was seeing 10, 11, 12, 13 targets a game which he's not seeing right now. So I do think that Mark Andrews at really low, like once the field starts catching up to these things is when I like to start swinging the other way, right? So for weeks, for me, it's been like, yeah, but Mark Andrews doesn't really have the role people think. He's higher owned than he should be. I'll be underweight the field. Now that people are catching up to that, I might swing towards some Mark Andrews, but I do still think it's sharp to stay off him when we take away the strategy angles, right? Like he's low owned because he should be low owned not because people are making a mistake. So he can still hit, but it is actually sharp that people are not playing him at, at high ownership. Another guy up at the high end who I think still projects for kind of the highest raw ceiling at quarterback is Jalen Hurts. I think similar to some of the chiefs Bengals stuff, it does feel pricey, which is going to keep ownership in check. I know you've referenced a few times that game against the Steelers a few weeks back uh, where we did see Hurts been specifically AJ Brown really go off what is your thoughts overall about the eagles and just this entire game environment with the titans who you know obviously want to establish the run want to slow this game down yeah so uh looks like jordan davis will be back for the eagles this week which is a big boost to their run game and would kind of somewhat take away from what the titans want to be able to do here so jalen hurts uh, this is i think a big mystery on the slate right how are the eagles going to approach this game they've been run heavy they haven't been putting up passing yards but we can look at the context of why the Eagles haven't been putting up passing yards, right? Last week, you're playing a really tough pass defense in the Packers, a really bad run defense. Hurts rushed for 157 yards. Why would you not keep running the ball with him? Two weeks ago, they were playing the Colts. And we spent the whole week on OWS saying the Colts defense is like practically built with the Eagles offense in mind. It's not that the Colts defense is so tough, but it's like the Colts defense, everything they're good at is exactly what the Eagles want to be doing on offense. It was the worst possible matchup for the Eagles offense. Uh, Eagles won that game 17 to 16 with an end of the game drive to take the lead. And then the game before that was Washington and Washington controlled the clock. They had the ball for over, over 40 minutes. Washington leaves the NFL in time of possession. The, the Titans are 19th in time of possession. Washington has been doing this all year. Washington controlled the clock in that game. Washington is a great comp for the Titans. Have you read me write this up yet? Or is this new information to you? I haven't, I haven't okay. read this yet. I love this. So Washington 14th in DVOA against the pass, fourth against the run. Titans 17th in DVOA against the pass, first against the run. Washington. Okay. This game against Washington, Jalen Hurts threw only 26 passes, but they had the ball for 19 minutes and 34 seconds. We extrapolate that to 30 minutes of time possession. possession that's 39 pass attempts. Now that's pretty simple to do that, right? We There's a lot of error 
available in that. But last time the Eagles played Washington, he passed the ball 35 times. Let's go deeper. How did the Eagles call their game against Washington? So Washington started with the ball this last game, right? The, this game where Hurts threw only 26 passes. Uh, Washington started with the ball and fumbled. Eagles got the ball in the 18-yard line, sudden change, called three run plays, scored a touchdown. Those are not schemed plays. Those are sudden change, get on the field, let's pound this ball in, score a touchdown. Their next three drives, the Eagles called 16 pass plays and two run plays. Their second drive, which would have been their schemed plays, was an 11-play drive, nine passes, two rush attempts. And then their next two drives were seven passes, no rush attempts. Uh, first one was a four-play drive that ended in an interception. Next one was a three-play drive that ended in a punt. That is 16 passes, two, two rush attempts. Or even if we take that first drive with the sudden change, 16 passes, five rush attempts. So it's very – this is just three games ago. It's very reasonable yeah. to expect the Titans to come out with a pass-heavy game plan. Uh, what I really like here, too, is AJ with Jalen Hurts, we're really paying for his rushing upside. So I think he can put up 300 yards and three touchdowns. He actually did it against Washington the first time these teams played. But do I want to pay 8K for him to uh, hopefully throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns? Or do I want to gain that access to, hey, Eagles pass the ball through A.J. Brown, who is really close friends with Jalen Hurts, who plays for a player's coach in Nick Sirianni and who felt really hurt by the fact that he'd helped build up this Titans franchise on his rookie yeah. contract and then got traded away when he was ready to get paid. And so I really like getting my Jalen Hurts access this week through AJ Brown at what's currently projecting at 3% ownership. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's a spot that I, I absolutely love in tournaments this week, recognizing it's broad range of outcomes, right? He could yeah. score 18 points, 21 points, and that hurts you at his price tag, but man, he could also score 40 plus and people won't have him. And so uh, yeah, I like Hertz this week, but what I really like is, okay, if Hertz is passing and not running as much, what I really want is where do I get that upside Dallas Goddard's out, concentrated offense. Uh, I really like A.J. Brown this week, and then I'll have some Devontae Smith too just as like a play, a hedge off of that uh, A.J. Brown exposure. Yeah, I love this spot for both of those guys. One one um, more macro thing I wanted to get your thoughts on before we dive into building, and I pulled this up on my Monday morning GPP review stream, was this awesome lineup that won the spy last week. Have you seen this yet? Uh, no, but I've, this is similar to what he had in the game changer might actually have been what he had in the game changer. And I've been talking about, uh, all year about Osmo doing this. He's done it with Miami several times. He had, uh, games where he had five Miami pieces in small field play, five pieces from Miami yep. in small field play a ton of times with four pieces from Miami. We take concentrated offenses and we treat that block of salary as access to all of their fantasy points. We know that some of the guys on this roster are going to disappoint, but we know that from the overall block of salary that we're spending, we're getting all of the points. So we're not worried about, okay, I'm getting one spot wrong and three spots right. We're worried about we're covering four spots, which now gives us far fewer things to get right. We know mathematically getting five things right is like measures and measures easier than getting six things right or seven things right. So you cover four spots and you're not worried about, hey, one of these individual players disappoints. What you're worried about is I'm spending this block of salary and covering four spots and getting these points. And now I only need to get five things right from here. So uh, we've seen it with the Miami offense. And now with the, I mean, 
five, five, four, five different times, Osmo's yeah. main build has been just overstacking Miami. Uh, and then we saw it last week with the Raiders offense. And this is something I've talked all year about. You know, you I had Jacobs and Devontae together on like 8% of my rosters last week. And then the other 92% was one or the other. Uh, you can put these guys together on smaller field play and it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, for me, concentrated offenses where you're getting all the points, you don't worry about exactly where those points are coming from. Just a super sharp way to go all the time. Yeah. And it, I mean, it kind of broke and I've seen him do these lineups too. I think it was this one that kind of broke my brain a little bit because it is the more like, unfit. you know what I, if you're quadruple stacking to uh, you know, early on and how it's like, yeah, toss Kasekia there, talk Trent Sherfield. But I think with Derek Carr, who, I mean, you could probably pull up the splits of how few times he's crested 25 fantasy points. And, and then knowing that Jacobs and Adams, um, have been slightly inversely correlated where when the one guy goes off, the other's doing kind of what Adams did here, get maybe getting you 15. But I think what was fascinating to me about this was this idea of, well, one, I'm, I sh I'm sure a Sim came up with this lineup for Osmo, but the fact that as hand builders, we are trying to lean into correlation to get more things right, but we fall into certain patterns of correlation, double stack with a bring back, a mini correlation, and that this idea of over-correlating is probably being underused by the field and is actually probably more at the heart of what correlation is trying to get at than the way most of us will do it by default. Yeah. We actually broke down one of Osmo's rosters a couple of weeks ago on the winter circle podcast. that was similar to this one. Somebody had asked a question about it where it was a Miami overstack without a bring back. And right. we broke down why it made sense to not have the bring back on that particular roster. And we could do the same thing here. Of course, I, I'm not playing Keenan Allen in tournaments ever, 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 especially at high ownership. But we can do the same thing here in terms of like where the salary is allocated. And we recognize that once he drops below a certain salary threshold, he changes everything he's doing. And so you don't want to force the bring back on this roster just to have it. Uh, and so, yeah, that over correlation, what, what Zandemir often says is correlating doesn't typically increase your ceiling. It typically lowers your ceiling a little bit, but it increases your chances of winning because while everybody else thinks they can get nine things right, you know, we've talked about how hard it is to get five things right on a parlay, right? Even if they're correlated and, and like super plus EV bets, it's still really hard to get five things right. So let alone getting nine things right on a roster. And so if you can kind of say, look, here's my bet on these covering these four spots, I'm getting these points regardless of how they show up. And now I have fewer things to get right. Uh, it doesn't increase your ceiling, but it increases your chances of winning because everybody else is trying to get more things right. And you bank on the fact that they're going to miss on some of these things. Uh, it's similar to the Patriots all those years, you know, basically saying like, we're never going to have the best team, but we're going to keep our window open for a long time by having a good team and training this team to make fewer mistakes than our opponents, right? And just know that our opponents are going to make mistakes and we'll capitalize off of that. That's what this roster essentially does is everybody else will try to get too many things right they will swing and miss. And so even though we're lowering our ceiling here, we're increasing our chance of a first place finish. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating too, of like, whether you are hand building, it doesn't feel good to do uh, you know, a four stack without a bring back. And if you're setting optimizer rules, like how many people are going out of their way to say quarterback with three players from his team and no bring back. So it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, when you get pushed out of that comfort zone, but are still relying on principles of correlation, how you can build really solid lineups. One more before we do our lineup build, because, and I, I got, of course, got a little sneak peek of what we're going to do on our building block. But I am stunned, JM. We have had 
the Kenny Pickett and George Pickens is going to win someone a <laughs> million dollars at some point this year. And now I'm sitting here looking at this Falcons lineup, and I was pretty stunned that you didn't come to me with a Kenny Pickett uh, building block for this week. Yeah, I'm Matt Canada is really putting my prediction in jeopardy. <laughs> uh, I'm used to the Steelers being willing to be aggressive, being willing to chase points on the scoreboard. And they have been calling this offense in a very conservative way, basically saying, look, if you push us, we will push things on the scoreboard, but otherwise we will play conservatively. So I do see this as a spot where we can expect the Steelers to be a little bit more conservative than we would like in this great matchup and probably require the Falcons putting up points. And it's been frustrating because the offenses like Pickett's not great, right? I like him because he's willing to take shots downfield. He'll run around. He can get points with his legs. He can hit big plays. He's not great yet. And so he's the offenses that have been able to score against Pittsburgh have also had good defenses that have made life difficult on Pickens and then on Pickett. And then the teams that he's capable of putting up big points against are have bad offenses, right? So they're not pushing the Steelers. So uh, I am going to have some exposure to this offense this week. Uh, I do like George Pickens this week. I'll have some Kenny Pickett stacks in large field play, probably with probably with Fryermuth and uh, Pickens instead of with Deontay and Pickens. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm starting to fear that my uh, my low percentage prediction of somebody winning the Millie Maker this year with this stack is not going to come to fruition just because of the way that they're calling this offense. Um, I will, I will be very happy if I'm proven wrong, but yeah. uh, this is not a week where, yeah, you'd look at the matchup and you're like, yeah, this is such a great matchup, but obviously um, where I capitalize a lot is understanding these coaching staffs and how these t individual teams want to win their games and recognizing how this individual team wants to win is not the way that I want them to win or that we would want them to win for winning the Millie maker with this stack. All right. It is time everyone's favorite portion of the show we're going to build a lineup on DraftKings. let's do it here all right as usual we have our deposit kingdom weekly league 350 <coughs> entries here 240 spots uh already taken meaning if i can do math 110 available as always i have this link posted in the deposit kingdom discord in the announcement section got the link down below if you guys aren't in the deposit kingdom discord highly recommend it if you're a youtube member you also get access to those Sunday morning crams, although I will be completely honest. Uh, all bets are off for this Sunday. If I'm around, I will definitely do it. If I am at the hospital, I will not be doing a cram. It is as simple as that. But JM, talk to me about what we are going to start these lineups off with today. Wait, due date was yesterday, right? It was, yes. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I'm, I'm like ready for you to get called away in mid-build. <laughs> Just like my due date to win a GPP was uh, multiple weeks ago and that one passed as well. Uh, well, I hope you get there this week. Okay, so we are going to focus on a spot that you and I both like and is coming in with really low ownership. And that is this Dolphins offense against the 49ers defense. 49ers, one of the top defenses in the league, 49ers shut down the Chargers, 49ers shut down the Seahawks, 49ers shut down the Cardinals. Those are the good offenses that the 49ers played outside of the Chiefs. But what is the difference between the Chiefs and those other offenses? Those other offenses, a lot of what they do on offense is trusting their players to beat the opponent. A lot of what the Chiefs do on offense is creating space in the defense with their scheme. 
That is the same thing that Mike McDaniel does with the Dolphins. The weakness of the 49ers is their secondary. Their scheme is great. Their front is great. They've allowed the fewest running back rushing yards in the NFL. But when they face a team with dynamic weapons in the passing attack and a scheme that can create space, they can get into trouble. Uh, furthermore, we just saw the Dolphins against the Texans throw the ball on 80% of their plays. The Texans had faced a 47% pass play rate on the season. Really easy to pass against the Texans, but it's so easy to run that most teams just run the ball. What do you think Mike McDaniel is going to do against this 49er team that he knows really well? He knows that he can't run the ball against the 49ers. They're going to be passing a lot. So if we have that certainty already covered, then the only question is, are they successful here or not? Maybe they're not, but at 1% owned on Tua, this is a great bet to make. So we're going to go with Tua. There's a lot of different ways to, to pair this, by the way. But uh, on this one, we're going to go with Tua, Tyreek Hill, and Juwan Jennings. Juwan Jennings on the field. Every play for the 49ers, not every play, but uh, a high percentage of the plays for the 49ers, nicknamed third and Jawan, a uh, highly trusted piece of this 49ers offense. He's 3,200 and is capable of scoring 12, 15, 18 points. But even if he doesn't, he should get you six, seven, eight, nine points and keep this roster in play with 3,200 in salary spent. And this now frees us up to get to one or two of the other high price pieces that we might want to get here. Uh, last thing I want to hit on, why not the double stack? We could also go with the double stack to a plus Waddle plus Tyreek, but we know that it's possible for one of these wide receivers to score 40 and the other to score 18 to 20. So on this roster, we're going to go with the skinny stack. Uh, I will have Tua on a lot of rosters this week. I will have him stacked a lot of different ways with a lot of different pieces from the 49ers. Uh, with single stacks, with double stacks, but this is the way we're going on this one. Pete, thoughts, wisdom. Yeah, I, I love this one. I told you earlier I had ramped up my Battle Royale volume on Underdog this week, particularly to attack this game, and I wanted to slice and dice it in as many possible ways, get some other of the non-Dolphins 49ers pieces rotated around that because I'm, I'm with you. I think probably in most scenarios this game you know slows down a little bit, and yet with the potential for upside here. I could just see this one soaring well over the total. Like if I look at any game and I think it go 15, 20 points over the total, I think it's this game. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. Obviously I get the whole thing with Jawan Jennings and saving money. If you were to go up to one of the, you know, I guess what four premium pieces on the giants, do you like, uh, or sorry, the Niners, do you like how this sets up for any of them in particular, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, CMC? Is there any other who would be your next guy you would consider there? Yeah, in addition to the 49ers allowing the fewest running back rushing yards in the NFL, the Dolphins have allowed the second fewest. So, I mean, I really do think that this is a game where we see both teams passing the ball more than people are probably realizing. The total on this game has already dropped a little bit. The Dolphins uh, were implied for, I think, 22 and a half at the start of the week. It's now like 21.25. I actually got uh, Dolphins over 20.5 points yesterday on DraftKings. And so uh, I do think that people are kind of like misperceiving the way that both of these teams are likeliest to play this game. And similar then to the Kansas City and Cincinnati game, when both teams are passing, even on those drives that don't succeed, it's not like you're bleeding six, seven minutes off the clock. And so uh, I do think that the opportunity for this game to take off is greater than most people realize. I like Kittle a lot, right? Any spot where Kittle is going to have an opportunity for more volume 
he has an opportunity for 30 plus points and nobody ever wants to play him because his range of outcomes is so broad and everybody thinks about floor. But if we think about ceiling, he's the guy who can break the slate. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is consistently producing double digit points, always has a shot at 25 to 30 points. He's coming in with extremely low ownership. Uh, and then Debo Samuel is doesn't have the same role that he had last year. And I don't just mean the backfield role, but like Ayuk has ascended and that's taken away some of the alpha status for Debo in the passing attack, but still capable of putting up a huge game here. And then uh, Christian McCaffrey. Okay, all the blurbs on Roto World this week have been like Jordan Mason and Tevin Coleman. And like everybody's trying to figure out CMC's backup as if yep. the backup is just going to step in and, and play the Elijah Mitchell role. And maybe the 49ers are so concerned about CMC's health that that happens. But his first game, like his first full game with the team, right, when he actually knew the playbook, he played over 80% of the snaps and he scored 40 DraftKings points. And this is a game that the 49ers need. And so who's to say that Christian McCaffrey, like the knee thing is not a concern to me. The way Kyle Shanahan's talked about it has been as if it's no issue. The way Christian McCaffrey has talked about it has been as if it's no issue. He said he dodged a bullet. He was running full speed in practice on Thursday. He said he expects a full workload this weekend. And then the field is all trying to figure out his backup running back situation. And so I could see this being a spot where Christian McCaffrey ends up with seven, eight catches, 60, 70 receiving yards, 60 rushing yards, uh, puts about 20 to 23 points before any touchdowns, and then potentially scores a couple of touchdowns and becomes a really valuable piece as well. So, yeah, I like all basically all five pieces on the 49ers, and I'll be mixing and matching all of them. Um, like you said, like there's just a lot of different ways to play this individual game, and it's going to be a really low-owned game. So I do want to mix – like I'll dedicate a pretty large chunk of my rosters to just mixing and matching this game different ways, I would guess – uh, at least 20% of my rosters will be mixing and matching this game different ways. Yeah, and I think that's a really good note about how the team views Eli Mitchell, and they definitely view him in a tier above those other rookies and Tevin Coleman. And I don't, I think it's probably a bad assumption to think that TDP or Tevin Coleman or whoever it is just comes in and gets the work that Eli Mitchell was getting there. So, yeah, I, it's something I want to think about. Although, man, using Tua, Tyreek, and CMC – uh, that really hamstrings your salary cap pretty quickly. So that will be a very unique trio of players, I'm sure. Where is the direction we go next here? I'm curious uh, what would be the next spot you would like to target. Right. So you say that about the CMC thing, right? And I think that's an important note to bring up in that there is some value on the slate that I think people are overlooking and if it hits, right, we've been super consistent this year with, like, I had, I don't know, 8 to 10% Zay Jones last week. Unfortunately, I had Demarcus Robinson on my main build, right? There's going to be some of this value that doesn't hit, but some of this value that does hit. And so if we mix and match these value plays, we're going week in and week out. We're going to be on the guys who end up going for 20 plus points, the lower end of the salary range. So because people are going to look at it like, man, it's really tough to fit in a lot of these high-priced guys, what I want to be looking to do is say, how many of these high-priced guys can we fit in, right? Like, can we yeah, fit yeah. in? Who else can score 40 points on this slate? We're not going to play Jamar Chase on this roster because we already have uh, – we, we don't have Joe Burrow. And if Jamar Chase is hitting, Joe Burrow is also hitting at the same price tag as Tua. So there's no need to not be playing Joe Burrow if we're playing Jamar Chase. So Jamar Chase off the board, we can consider Joe Mixon as a hedge off of that. But who else could score 40 points on this slate? Devante or Josh Jacobs could score 40 points. Uh, AJ Brown could score 40 points. So I want to find a way to get up to one of those 
guys who could put the slate, help put the slate out of reach. But the first step there is going to be, what are the salary savers available? So uh, one of the salary savers I really like is DJ Shark in that same game that everybody's targeting, but nobody's on him. So he's leveraged yeah. off of the other pieces from that game. Another piece of salary saving that I really like is DeAndre Carter. He's been playing over 80% of the snaps. He has six or more targets in three of his last five games. He has double-digit DraftKings points in three of his last five games, including 16-pointer and a 20-pointer. He's 3.8K in salary or 3.9K in salary. Nobody wants to play him. Uh, I would even be fine putting both of those guys on here and then seeing what that frees up for. Well, I guess then that takes away that last wide receiver spot. But putting one of those guys on here uh, and seeing what that frees up for salary and then figuring out where else we can get our upside, whether we want to go cheap at tight end and then get another high price wide receiver. Or if we want to go to Travis Kelsey and go cheap at wide receiver. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then we can throw in it just for like salary purposes, throw in a defense as well. I don't know if you have a, a cheap defense that you like, but throw in a defense as well and just kind of get a sense of what we will have for salary to work with here. Yeah. I think the most popular defense that's cheap is going to be the Steelers um, at 2,600. I think the Jets will be fairly popular at 2,600 too. If you're getting down there, um, Broncos, 2,400, Titans, 2,200, any, anything jump out to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like, actually like all those defenses, the Jets and, and Steelers are the ones that have like 10 point upside, 12 point upside, whereas the Titans and Broncos probably don't. I, I don't think I'll play the Broncos uh, in yeah. this spot, but the, um, the Titans, I'm fine with if I absolutely absolutely needed it. I'm fine playing the Jets or Steelers at some ownership. And I think we can start here. And then if we have a little salary left over at the end, we can say, okay, let's get up to a different defense or see if there's a different defense that we like. Um, but also, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, like at this point in the week, there's so much to work through with offense that I'm not like super deep into my feelings on defense beyond knowing that Steelers and, and Jets and Titans are kind of the cheaper ones that I would feel most comfortable playing. Um, but yeah, now we've got 6,200, right? So we're either going to go cheap at one of these tight end spot, cheap at tight end, cheap in the flex, or we can go like Zonovan Knight and kind of see what that frees up for salary because we want to make sure we get at least one more guy with 40 point upside. Yeah. And we might be able to fit in two guys with 40 point upside because if we say that this is a slate where a 60K salary cap could potentially get you 300 points, we want to make sure that we're getting access to those guys who would be part of that type of roster, these 35 to 40 point guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we could also probably still keep George Kittle in our back pocket too, right? As part of this lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would be totally comfortable playing two 49ers pieces. The one place where I might not is CMC just because he costs so much that you want him right. to really soak up all the work. But the other guys are cheap enough that I, I'll play Kittle with Jawan Jennings, but I would even play Kittle with Ayuk without Garoppolo. I would even play like Debo and Kittle together. So yeah, uh, Kittle is very much still in the mix here. And when we talk about potential 40 pointers, we don't want the salary on this guy to like sway our thinking, right? He's still capable of putting up 35 to 40 points. Would this be, I assume um, with how kind of unique this combo of players we already have, is, is this a, a spot where you'd be perfectly fine playing ETN who does look kind of like just the best, you know, raw points per dollar play? Here for, Absolutely. Uh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And ETN's his averaging 16, like since he's taken over the lead role, very small sample size, but he's averaging 16.7 pre touchdown fantasy points per game, which puts him uh, like two points above Nick Chubb, uh, a point and a half above Derrick Henry. Like he's up there with the top running back plays. He should be priced around 7,500, 8K, and he's sitting here at 6,400. Why don't we? Why don't we put in that next player we've been referring to, the guy who we think can get us that 40-point 
upside at that flex spot and then kind of see what that leaves us at with running back tight end or if we want to get after it. Um, you know, you mentioned AJ Brown earlier. Jefferson obviously can do that, although he's pricey. Um, do you have a favorite uh, kind of one-off 40-burger potential play here? Yeah, AJ Brown is is my favorite one-off because he's going to be 3% owned and I like the narrative. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But um, if I'm right, I'm right, like big, right? People are going to be on him and he can put up a separator type of score. Uh, and we could put him and we could try to see what putting, you know, putting Kittle in here along with him. And we're still going to have plenty of salary at the running back position, 5,700, which allows us actually to get to Isaiah Pacheco, Ooh, which gives us yeah. exposure to that Chiefs offense in a way that's taking away points from the other ways to play it. And all of a sudden, Etienne can put up 30, AJ Brown can put up 40, uh, DJ Shark can put up 25, Kittle can put up 40, Tyreek can put up 40. And so if this slate ends up falling exactly the way that we need it to, we're capable of putting up 250 plus points on this roster. And we've got low ownership, low combinatorial ownership. Uh, don't, don't dupe us because I might use, <laughs> I might use it for myself. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, this is a, just a fantastic way to build on this slate because you're adding a little bit more fragility, but you got to recognize that there, if you're in a roster, if you're in a contest with 10,000 entries, there are 10,000 other opportunities for people to get the right combination of like 30 and 40 pointers. So if you're not targeting 30 and 40 pointers, you're going to be dead no matter what. So if you're dead because your, your targets on 30 to 40 pointers missed, that's okay. If you're dead because you're playing guys who can't score 30 to 40 points, that's not okay. Uh, and so this is exactly like the way I'm looking to build on this week is taking on a little bit more risk, uh, players who are a little bit more fragile, but if you're building enough rosters like this, you're going to end up with some combos that are getting you tons of points uh, moving past all the people who are playing things a little bit too safe on the slate. I'm worried, JM, because this is the the rare like contrarian lineup. Like you said, I just put this into my sheet. 52 cumulative ownership. That optimal had 158 uh, in there. And yet the chat absolutely loves this lineup. And so I don't know <laughs> where that puts us in because normally you make a super contrarian lineup and the chat is wanting to vomit at it. So I don't I don't know what we just did here, but it feels uh, like some sort of sort of magic. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping my AJ Brown. I'm hoping my AJ Brown call this week is like the uh, Burrow call against Pittsburgh or the uh, Justin Fields call at 5,300 or whatever other Jonathan Taylor call in week 10. I'm hoping that we get AJ Brown like that. And then uh, maybe a couple of these miss so that the duped lineup doesn't <laughs> take down all the tournaments, but yeah, no, I mean, this is, and even there's other ways to go here. Right. But yeah. the idea is to just say like, make sure you're hammering like these guys who can actually get you these uh, 20 pointers. If DJ shark gets you, six points on this roster, that's okay, right? Because you're going to put together another roster that also looks like this where your cheap guy does end up getting you 20 points, whether it's DeAndre Carter or um, honestly, Kendall Hinton, his role is pretty robust and he's somewhat interesting down there. Uh, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, just all the different ways that you can hunt for salary down low to fit in one or two extra guys up high. Uh, just have a lot more ceiling than a lot of people are going to have this week. Um you guys are are far too kind thinking JM I and I are going to ruin your precious Jawan <laughs> ownership because we put Don't worry, you'll be under 1% owned. You'll be good. You're fine. You guys are good. Anyone who wants to jam Jawan Jennings, you can do so, I promise. Um all right, well, fun lineup JM. I'm glad we we're able to do this show. What what do you guys got going on over at one week season? Obviously business as usual with 
the uh, content, but anything else, deals, things people should be looking out for? No, uh, Pete 60 is the best deal you got right now for 60% uh, off rest of the season, Inner Circle or OWS DFS. Uh, we'll probably roll out a couple new deals next week, but I think what we'll roll out is a 60% off on the site, which means that uh, through you, through Pete, it'll be an even better deal than that. So basically you can still, you're getting the same deal right now that you would get next week. Um, and no, yeah, business as usual. We still got a third of the season left, right? We're kind of at that point where yeah. Christmas is coming up or past Thanksgiving and um, people kind of start, the fatigue is setting in. People kind of feel like, oh, well, the season's almost over, but realistically we still have a third of the season left. So um, yeah, pretty excited. I, I'm feeling, I've got enough help on the site that I'm feeling energetic still at this point in the season and uh, had some hot weeks recently. So that helps with the energy as well. Um, there we go. Yeah. You will win all the money, uh, this <laughs> week. Um, but yeah, no, and actually we have, I mean, check out the Binks channel on discord. We have had a lot of people who was like three weeks on, on OWS first week on OWS, just like, because we focus so much on roster construction and theory, as opposed to just the plays you pick up so much that does dramatically help your DFS play right away. So, um, yeah, check things out, sign up for OWS free. If you haven't done that and we'll see you, I'll see you maybe not back here next week because pete will be father pete by then and uh yeah i i would be shocked if i was uh, around next week but who knows you know as i told you as i told you my wife said it'll be another two weeks so she is not a medical expert and has no expertise beyond our own people even, experiences i didn't even tell lauren the prediction of your wife because i didn't want her to dislike your wife's side what's funny <laughs> is what's funny is william was our william was our first kid and he was born on his due date so uh, the two weeks late prediction doesn't even go off of our personal experience, but, um, but yeah, maybe we'll be back here next week and celebrate the fact that, uh, that Lauren is a week and a day past her due date and is extremely frustrated about that at the time. Sounds like she needs to start a spinoff business, OWS obstetrician week season or something. There. I think it's, <laughs> it's right there for the, the forecasting, uh, due dates is, uh, there we go. Sure yep, potential there market. We go. All right. I appreciate all you guys hop in the discord. Make sure you get in that deposit kingdom, uh, tournament. Make sure you guys are checking out OWS. Please don't dupe JM and I in this lineup we build. We appreciate you guys have a great week 13. We'll see you at the top of the leaderboards. Mm -hmm.